Welcome to show 27 of the C-Suite podcast, which is on the topic of B2B demand generation. Now, after the the, uh, last five episodes being recorded on location in Toronto and Cannes, it's back to the studios here in London to record today's show, although we uh, do still have an international flavour to this interview as two of my guests are joining me on the line from the US. First up from his office in Denver, Colorado, it's a warm welcome to Carlos Hidalgo, who is the CEO of Annuitas, a B2B demand generation firm. Then about 1,300 miles east of Carlos in Cleveland, Ohio, we have Joe Polizzi, founder of the Content Marketing Institute. And finally here in the studio with me are two more guests, Katie Howe, CEO of Independent Social Digital Consultancy Immediate Future, and Joel Harrison, Editor-in-Chief of B2B Marketing. Now don't forget, if you hear anything you want to comment on during the show, please do share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag hash C-Suite podcast. Uh, now, three of my guests here, uh, Katie, Carlos and Joe, uh, were presenting at uh, Joel's B2B Marketing Summit that took place here in London last week. So Joel, before we uh, chat to our demand generation and content experts, how was the event? It was really, really good. We were really, really pleased with it. It was a big step up from the year before. We had just under 900 people there. So it was the biggest event in B2B in the world, I think, uh, possibly Certainly this year, who knows, maybe even ever. And it's excellent because it really gives a focal point for B2B marketers. It's somewhere where they feel they can come and they belong. And I think the really good thing about it as well is that, as well as there being great content, of which the the three other guests did fantastic presentations, it also provides a place for B2B marketers to meet. And there's a lot of business that gets done in and around the event itself. A lot of meetings that happen, a lot of networking that happens, a lot of deals that get done. So it's all in all a great thing, something we're looking to build on. We think it's a kind of step up this year and looking to do that again next year. That's an early plug you've got in for next year. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, um, today's topic is uh, B2B demand generation. I'm going to come to uh, the three other guys as, as well, but how would you define demand uh, generation because because uh, you get a slightly sort of mixed reaction when you ask different people. Yeah, well I'm more interested in Carlos's definition than mine to be honest, but but I think but why I'd there's a you could split marketing in two. You could say there's brand marketing, which is purely about the brand and about about pushing the overall positioning of the organization and 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 its ethics and ethos and all those kind of things and where it sits in the organization and sits in the in the industry overall and then there's demand generation activity which is more about creating marketing that's delivering a return it's part of a pipeline for the sales process. It's about revenue-orientated stuff. And, of course, the revenue stuff does have an impact on brand, but it's mostly about revenue. So, so I, I mean, my, my view would be, and I feel free to disagree on this, my view is anything that is, is actually designed to create, to, to contribute to the funnel and to overall revenue, that would be demand generation stuff. So lead generation, all those things um, feature in that. Okay, well, uh, Joel said he'd be keen to hear what Carlos says. Carlos, what's, what's your viewpoint on it? Yeah, I, I think Joel hit on a lot of it. I think really what we, how we define demand generation is first and foremost is the perpetual process. We don't have buyers that are in a start and stop buying process. So we define it as a buying process or, or, or a exercise that's perpetual meant to engage, nurture, and convert both your prospects and customers. And I think a lot of organizations don't think about demand generation when they think about their customers. And then really the whole goal is to drive revenue and maximize customer lifetime value. And we do that through working with both marketing and sales as we both educate and qualify our prospects as they go through their buying journey. Okay. So that's how we define demand generation. Katie, what's your thoughts on it? I can't, can't agree more with Joel and Carlos, but there is also one other aspect, which is that in t- today's modern B2B, we've got a customer journey that just keeps turning round and round. It's a bit like scribble. If you were to draw it, it doesn't look <laughs> like a line anymore. And actually, those touch points that you have to keep reaching out to for demand gen now actually matter a great deal more because people can drop out the funnel anywhere. OK. And uh, Joe? You know, I, I think that everyone covered it uh, fairly <laughs> well. And I think to Katie's point, uh, if you consider that the majority of the 
buying process is complete or the buyer's journey is complete before they ever reach out to vendors. That's the challenge that we're in right now when it comes to demand generation. Yeah. Because if we're not creating, you know, valuable, relevant, compelling information to them before they get into actually buying the product when they're in the problem stage, it's unfortunate that a lot of these uh, business-to-business enterprises are going to be left out of that conversation. Yeah. Well, you were first up on uh, stage out of of these guys here presenting at at the summit uh, last week. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about your session, which um, was titled A Proven Strategic Model for Successful B2B Content Marketing? Yes, no, I, I totally enjoyed myself at the event. Joel and the team, they do a great job uh, putting that event on, and uh, hopefully that will continue to be the largest uh, B2B event in the world, if you will, Joel. So, um, I, you know, the, the presentation that we talked about, especially specific to this conversation we're having here on demand generation, is how do we build an audience that knows, likes, and trusts us before they necessarily even want to buy the product that we have? or the product suites that we, services that we tend to offer. So what we're seeing right now as it comes to content marketing and B2B, you have a lot of B2B enterprises that are creating more content than they've ever created before. And according to the research that we come out with every year at Content Marketing Institute, they're even going to create even more content and more clutter over the next 12 months. And the concerning thing is, even though we're seeing all this content generation, if you will, the success ratio for content marketing in B2B is actually fairly poor. It's about 30% uh, success rate is what we're seeing. So what we're, what the, the conversation that we had at, at, the, at Joel's event was really around, look, you don't ne- you're, you're not necessarily in the content game just to create more content and more clutter. Yeah. What we want to do is we want to focus on the audience we're trying to target, what we can actually add value to that audience outside of the products and services we offer, which, by the way, is very difficult for B2B companies to do, and actually build an audience. And I'm a firm believer that instead of thinking about leads, and oh, we're always trying to get leads and names and contacts, why don't we build first build an audience of subscribers that actually wants to get our information? And then from that audience, we can go ahead and figure out, okay, how do we then drive opportunities and leads from that subscribership? Most B2B companies don't do that. They're really in it for short term. And what I think Carlos and I were trying to talk about is that this is a long-term process, and if you focus it as a long-term process and trying to provide value all the way through the buyer's journey, you will be more successful and just getting rid of that short-term thinking is critical for B2B enterprises. Yeah. In, in, in terms of content, do you think it's a tougher challenge for um, marketers to create content for B2B rather than B2C? Uh, actually, I, would, I love the B2B side because I think it's a lot easier because you can actually target a very small uh, population, if you will, to say this is the audience we're trying to target. B2C is unwieldy because you're almost trying to target everyone. Your personas are so huge and massive, which is – why a lot of B2C companies, they focus on entertainment and they focus on, you know, getting superstars in and, and trying to get as much attention. It's almost, it's almost more like advertising. Yeah. If you look at B2B content, it's very similar to the way that trade media companies uh, go to market. And the business models are actually really similar to a trade media company, except the only difference is, is how the money comes in. If I'm a B2B media company, I'm trying to monetize through advertising or paid subscriptions, but if I'm a B2B enterprise, B2B brand, I'm trying to sell more products and services. But the process of content creation and distribution is pretty much the same. Yeah. Carlos, um, 
Joe was just talking about the amount of content that's being created at the moment. In, in your presentation at, at the summit, I believe you highlighted some of the findings from uh, your latest Annuitas Enterprise B2B demand generation study. And, and one of the things that I picked out from that, because I, I, I downloaded that, was it said 3% of B2B marketing executives said they were highly successful in, in accomplishing their demand generation goals. And so depending on how different people define effective versus very effective. Either way, 3% is, is not very much at all, is it? Yeah, it's not a really good sign for us when we're saying that 3% are very effective. And even those that said we're kind of effective, uh, you know, I asked the question, how many of us want to finish our careers and, and be able to tell our kids, hey, we were marginally effective in our <laughs> careers. I don't think anybody, anybody wants that. No. Um, I agree with Joe. And, and I think I really draw a fine line between we have a lot of content producers out there, but do we have true content marketers? Do we have true demand generation marketers out there? And so one of the interesting things, back to our report that we showed, with, with the anemic numbers, success in demand generation, and I know Joe's study, which I, I kind of look forward to every year, shows that only 30-some percent are very effective or effective at all with their content. What's interesting to me when you get to the metrics part is, they're not really measuring the effectiveness of, of content, at least from our study. They're not the, the things they are measuring in terms of demand generation. I do believe are an obstacle to them truly measuring are they effective at all, which is one of the reasons why me, uh, having those metrics aligned with what you're doing on the content side is so vitally important because yeah. you can create a lot of content, but if you don't really measure it effectively, you're not going to know are you good or are you bad? It's like the CMO who said, I know 50% of my programs are effective. I just don't know what yeah. 50%. So, it's, so is this what you were covering in, in your session at, at the event? Because it was about culture change as well, wasn't it? It was. It was really about we have to fundamentally change as marketing and sales organizations. And it's something that we talk about a lot and I talk about a lot. It's what I, I wrote my book on was really what is the change management approach that we have to take as B2B marketers and salespeople to address a new audience. We are no longer marketing to people who rely on sales to lead them through their buying process. We have consensus buying in the B2B environment with up to five individuals who are part of a buying committee, each with their own bias. We have people who can access any type of information on our company, on our product, down to an individual salesperson via their smartphone. So the buyers are so interconnected, and plus we can do peer-to-peer -peer networking without ever meeting each other via LinkedIn and Twitter and all these other social yeah, platforms. And yet what we see all the time is marketing organizations that continue to bifurcate by uh, aligning via their tactics. So we have email teams and web teams and event teams and field marketing teams, but very rarely do we see a marketing organization that's aligned to a buying process. And if we start to move to that direction, we are going to see things fundamentally change. But in order to do that, and I, Joe hit on it earlier, he said, you know, the, the quick fix. It's not a quick fix. Do change management well, especially at the cultural level. You're looking at a two- to three-year initiative, and what we find is a lot of executives don't have that staying power and don't have that patience, so it resorts back to that quick fix. So that's really what I was talking yeah, about. Of course. You know, I, Carlos is absolutely right. It's, it, it's too, too much short-termism in marketing. People thinking about getting the next win. They're thinking about. They're thinking in terms of the immediate funnel. They're thinking of responding to the what the, what the sales team is screaming for. They're not seeing the bigger picture. They're not. They're not actually behaving. Not thinking in thinking about the brand in the long term. And I guess that's the that going back to the top. You know, that's the kind of 
the, the definition, that's the, that's the split between this demand-focused stuff. It can, it, the danger is it, it distracts you from, you know, it, you, get, you knee-jerk and react into things which aren't in your, in your long-term best interest. Yeah. And, and that's very hard for marketers. It has been very hard for marketers to actually to, to, to think about the long-term view. And, and, you know, that's the real challenge to, to try and shift that agenda over to something more consistent, coherent, and, and in, the, in everyone's own long-term best interest. Sure. C- Casey, I want to bring you in at, at this point. You presented on paid social and actually just for the listeners benefit um we actually covered some of that in show 10 uh so if anyone wants to delve back into the archives they can find some more information on that but in in your session you said that paid social is the b2b golden goose of the lead gen uh in the social stream do you want to expand on what all that means and, and how that fits in with what these guys are talking about because i know in terms of that that does work in terms of the long-term goal and, and retargeting and all this all that kind of stuff i think um yeah, I think I was drunk when I wrote that. <laughs> um, I think the, only, the problem is that most brands don't even consider social when it comes to demand gen. They just, there are only a few that are understanding it. I don't know what they think buyers do. Do they just turn off their Twitter when they're in work mode? I don't think so. The problem is that social is in your workplace and that's where paid, for, from my perspective, we talk about targeting and we say, uh, Joe said, talk, was talking about how targeting is B2B brands are quite good at it. We find they're not good enough, <laughs> definitely not good enough. And what social and what paid social let you do is target by pain points and not the pain points you think your customers have, but the pain points and the expressions that they use. So it makes you pick the right funnel. Then there's the triggers and motivations which you understand better. So you understand the, the, the segments that are, say, motivated by the need to get information because they want to share it with their bosses and those that are trying to get information because they're trying to devise an RFP. I mean, that much detail you can get, which means that you're pushing the right content at the right part of the funnel. And then the last bit, which is making your funnel faster, is waving at people, So, which is not assuming that getting someone to a capture point where you've got that information, which is kind of what Joe's saying that getting to that subscriber point, getting to that point where you've captured the data is not the end game. Mm. The end game is continuous. And with your scribbly customer journey, you have to think about all the touch points and the continuous touch points without overwhelming your buyer. Joel, we've uh, heard from your three speakers uh, from the conference, just looking at some of the stuff that they, they were presenting at. Um, I actually, as I said, I, unfortunately, I wasn't, wasn't at the conference, but I was uh, looking up on some of the feedback that you had online and through the Twitter stream on the hashtag, uh, some of the photos as well. It looked pretty packed and, and very well re- received. What, what was the general feedback and the key takeouts from, from your perspective of what the guy, these guys spoke about? I, I think there were... The, the danger is that we had seven streams of content and over 40 speakers. So to try and distill it down into a few sound bites is very hard, but but you've asked, so I'm, I'm going to have to try. Um, and we, we produced a little, um, we, which you can share, we produced a little uh, a flip book, a uh, turtle document of uh, some of the key tea, key ta- tea takeaways, key takeaways. Um, and I think, and, and forgive me, and some of these, and these may have come out of the mouths of, of Joe and Carlos, so forgive me, guys, if, or, and Katie as well, if I've if I, if I stolen your thunder here, but some of the, some of the best sound bites and takeaways we had is, is that, the future, particularly in content marketing, is it's not known. You know, the thing about marketing is changing so fast now that we don't know what the future is. You know, you have to experiment. You have to keep trying and 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 playing with things to really to and, and write your own future. So so you know, don't don't sit around and look and expect someone to have the answer for you. That a model that you can necessarily follow. The answer is out there for you to experiment and find by your own by your own kind of your own efforts. And I think another thing that stood out for me was around keeping marketing simple. I mean, we all try to to overcomplicate marketing and everything we do. Um, and we and we try and put very uh, 
complex and, and oblique uh, messages, uh, you know, metrics and, and rationale for why we do things. I think we should try and kind of, I think one thing that was very strong to me was to try and distill it down to actually what we're trying to do, which is about understanding customers and growing a business. Those are two really, really compelling ways of doing that. And I think the, the, the final thing that came down for me was in the bit of research that we produced, which really resonated in the session that I ran, which is around, I think it was around the, how bad everybody is at measurement. You know, that, that it's still, after all these years, it still remains a terrible, a something that marketers aren't very good at. And, um, you know, you can look at that two ways. One way you can say marketing hasn't moved on. Otherwise, if you think you're bad at it, don't worry, everyone else is too. But um, if, you can, if you can just get a little bit ahead, you know, you just, just try and improve your practice a little bit you can actually be doing pretty well in compared to other your competitors. So. Well, that actually leads quite nicely onto the next question that I've got lined up because obviously with Katie, Carlos and Joe, you're covering most parts of the demand generation journey, let, let's let's call it, with you know what you companies do individually. But the key for all the elements to work surely is, is about the data, isn't it? It is. And in fact, we always say at Immediate Feature that in order to do social media, you need to be kind of half scientist and half artist. So it, I'm not taking away from the creative. It's just that inevitably we get so fixated on the creativity and the content that we forget about the distribution. And that science bit, that data bit is essential because we can't work in social without everything else working at the same time. The best form of marketing is the marketing where the data connects up. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, It doesn't help that things are shifting every five minutes and it certainly doesn't help that there are potential changes to regulations coming along the way, depending on what happens with our EU agreements. But there is a real desire amongst marketers to try and fix this. And from from a, a very broad, non-social point of view, it's all about being relevant, about resonating with our customers and being in the right place at the right time. And the information that will tell you that is data. And, and Carlos, that's where I, I guess you guys come in at, at Newatas in terms of taking this data and the, and the strategies that you're putting in place as well with your clients? Yeah, I think the data is just certainly a linchpin to uh, a successful program. But I also think, and we've seen organizations, not many, because I think in addition to what Joel said about metrics, everybody being bad at it, very few organizations have their arms around their data, how to segment, how to analyze, and even just keeping it clean. But I think if you only have data, you you're only have one of the foundational pillars. So we kind of talk about having an alignment of people, process, content, te- technology, and data all around the buyer. So having all of those things operationalized to map to the buyer and their buying process is key. So the data is certainly important and uh, an area where B2B marketers need to improve. But I think if you only focus on that area and don't allow it to align with those other pillars that I just spoke about, I think you're still going to be lacking overall from a demand generation success standpoint. And, and this all fits in with, uh, the lo- again, going back to that long-term goal with all these different touch points ac- across a, you know, a long lead time. How does that all fit with, with you? And also I'd be interested, Joe, with the kind of content that you're, you're producing. Is, you know, what's the strategies there? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we know that if you're going to do any kind of a content marketing initiative and you, you want to see the results of it, and you want to see some data that's, that's worth something, you have to at least go through a buyer's journey. So if you're a, a B2B a CMO and you say, hey, I want to do this content marketing thing, but I've got six months, I'm going to say, go do something else. Like, go do, effort, go do a lot of interruption. Don't try to build a relationship with your audience because it's going to take longer than that. I mean, just to build on everyone, what everyone else is saying about, uh, about data, 
I, especially what Joel said about simplification. I think sometimes we need to do the. We look at all this data. We have so much. Look, we've always looked at data. It's just mostly it's been qualitative. Now we actually have behavioral data, which is fantastic. And we get all this data, and we're trying to show, okay, is there any insight to that? Can we use it? We really have to focus on some things that we can put our arms around and say, okay, well, what? Do, let's go back to the subscriber conversation. Let's say we're trying to build a, a subscriber that knows, likes, and trusts us. We'll use the data to show what do they do differently? What's the behavior they do? Do they stay longer? Do they, do they buy more? Do they talk more favorably about our company? We can value that subscriber with the data that's coming in, but sometimes we don't do it. It's actually not too difficult to do it. It's just we're looking at so many different things at one time, and I think you have to make some decisions about things you're not going to look at so you can focus and be really good at focusing on what the value of a subscriber is with the data you have. And, and, and all this uh, that you're talking through there, there, Joe, Carlos, do you then feed that into some form of attribution modeling for your clients? We do. We have a standard set of KPIs and a model that we apply that takes a look at the qualitative and the quantitative. And what we actually do is get back down from a channel attribution and a content attribution. So as Joe rightly described, starting with those buyer insights and that buyer journey. And so I know we've used the term waterfall funnel. The buying process is not a funnel. Uh, as I said in my speech, I've never heard a buyer say I'm in the sales accepted lead stage of my <laughs> buying process, especially when, especially when we have up to five buyers. So we have to define that buyer journey, and then we have to look and say what channels are becoming most effective for us, and then what pieces of content, as Katie mentioned, what pieces of content are helping speed up or helping contribute to a velocity increase in helping the buyer actually buy in a faster, more informed matter, manner. So we do have attribution modeling that we apply to all the programs that we develop for our clients. Okay. Uh, this is all very good stuff. Uh, we're going to carry on the conversation uh, shortly. We're back after a couple of quick messages. Consumers are 10 times more likely to buy goods or services if addressed in their own language. Conversus enables international businesses to communicate their message across different languages and cultures. For translation and localization of your PR comms and website content, multilingual desktop publishing, and audio dubbing and subtitling of videos, visit conversus.com. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csweetpodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Welcome back to the C-Suite Podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, and my four guests, Joel Harrison, Katie Howe, Joe Polizzi, and Carlos Hidalgo. Uh, and we are talking demand generation in B2B marketing. Uh, now, what I thought we could do to kick off this second half of the show is uh, perhaps for each of you, uh, maybe you could share a case study of where your work has helped a client um, in this area, or in Joel's case, uh, maybe a, a campaign that you've written about or uh, uh, given an, an award to. Katie, let's uh, let's start with you. Okay, so one of the uh, case studies I talked about um, at Joel's event was some work we've done with Thomson Reuters. It's quite a small campaign, but I think this kind of sums it up. So every year, Thomson Reuters sends out Reuters reporters who go and look at how the predicted commodities market, I pick the pick the good markets to talk about, good industries to talk about, the commodities market. So they're trying to predict whether the harvest will be good. They, they send all their reporters out to wonderful places like Russia and where they grow loads of wheat and stuff like this. Um, and what was really interesting is starting and understanding the target market you want to reach. So we don't want to just reach 
all traders. We want to reach investor, those those traders that are involved in commodities only. So subdividing those out, working out where they are, which channels, which platforms. But more importantly, was briefing in terms of content prior to a very good content organisation like Reuters going out and creating content out there for its news channels and going... By the way, we'd like smaller pieces and we'd like this and we'd like it in this format and we need it for social. So we call it shattering for social, which is making as much content in a variety of different ways from video to infographics to copy. It doesn't really matter. We wanted to test as much as we possibly could. Getting it out there fast um, on all the different channels, but optimising quickly. So what I mean by that is throwing the content away that doesn't work, throwing away the audience Sort of slivers of segments that just stopped working. I think the whole campaign was about six weeks long. We increased their demand gen for that segment that they've never, you know, never reached before it by 1,178%. Precisely. Go, Precisely. <laughs> I know that figure inside and out now. Excellent. Uh, Joe, how, how about you? Any any particular campaigns that you could sort of talk us through? Uh, well, I, I can't. Can't say the name of the company, but one in particular that we worked with, uh, shoot, this is a couple of years now, a large B2B manufacturing company. And what we realized is they were targeting one specific persona, and they were creating content for 16 different channels, Twitter, Facebook, uh, e-newsletters, webinars, and they weren't seeing a lot of success. And basically, this is what a lot of B2B companies do. They just basically, they say, because we can produce content, like Carlos was saying, we will. And they just started producing content and throwing it all over everywhere. And they basically became, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, not making an impact on their audience in any way. And after working through a strategy, which they really didn't have a sound strategy, and then they, they came up with, okay, here's our documented strategy. And they came up with, just focusing on one portion of that persona, what we learned was that persona was actually too broad, uh, and they couldn't focus on really relevant content to that larger persona. And they wanted, of course, reach more people, but you can't be relevant uh, going that broad. So they really focused on a, on a portion of that persona. And instead of focusing on creating content for 16 different channels, they had one main channel which actually became their, their blog, textual content, textual plus image content. And then they had two secondary ones that they really focused on being great at. They focused on email subscribership as sort of their main KPI and looking at the differences in behavior over that. Hugely successful, you know, well over 100,000 opt-in subscribers to that. They're seeing those opt-in subscribers even come some from customers and some turn into major amounts of new business. And what I love about that whole case study is the fact that they're actually creating less content now than they were ever before, but it's really focused and really valuable. And I think sometimes you have to go small, you have to simplify, and you have to figure out, okay, where can we actually be the leading expert in the world at something instead of trying to throw massive amounts of content out there. And I'm hoping that's what more and more companies in B2B will start to do. Sure. You're clearly a fan of uh, of email. I, I get you know from some of the things that you you talked about. Do do you think it still has its? Uh, I mean, clearly it's it's still important. But moving forward into the future um, with with other communication channels, will email be threatened as a way of of uh, data collection? Well, I never I never talk about the future. <laughs> right now, okay, it's been around one of our older channels now. Yeah. It's been around for quite a while. And all I'm looking at is, is the data. And when I look at the data and I look at media companies that are successful, B2B brands that are successful with a content marketing approach, 
their main way to draw in subscribers is through email. Yeah. And the reason why that's so more critical than ever before, and Katie was talking a little bit about, you know, you can't do demand gen in social. What I want to see is you want to drive demand gen through social into having an actual email at some point at the end of the day because my concern with leveraging just, let's say you're, you're focusing on followers or fans and social platforms, you don't control those. Mm. You know, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, they control that. They can change the algorithm at any point. So you got to get up in the morning every day and think, well, you know, those, those followers I have on, on Facebook and LinkedIn, those might be gone tomorrow because I don't have control. Well, what do we have the most control of? Email, and you just have to break through all that clutter. And I think the, the big catastrophe that's going on in B2B marketing right now is most B2B e-newsletters are terrible. They're absolutely terrible, and we haven't really been focusing on that could be re something really valuable we could deliver to our customers on a daily basis, and I, w I want more B2B companies to come back to that. Joel's desperate to, to chip in here. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I couldn't even be, even start to agree with Joe. He's said it eloquently, but I think the fact that so many B2B e-newsletters are so bad is, is actually brilliant because it creates such an opportunity for so many people. You know, it, it means you can you can be better not by having to do that that well. You can do you can be much, much better by, by putting some serious grunt into it. And I think that, you know, Joe's absolutely right. The demise of email has been greatly exaggerated, as they say. You know, it's not going away anytime soon. In the same time, and, I, and I'm not social... Is is the is the hottest channel, but there are there are there are challenges around that. Rumors around where the, where the platforms are going. Neither of those things are going to be. You can't guarantee the future on any one platform. Anything they are universally valid, and we have to make sure we we invest in all the things. We use them to the best effect. I think what is interesting though is that the decision makers of tomorrow won't um, use platforms in the way we use them today. You know, they they will. The average teenager doesn't even know what an email email is, do they? So they, so the, that that's the thing that's going to be very interesting. And we, you know, we might not even the channel that they will, that will be most prevalent in fifteen years time might not even exist today. Yeah. That's the fascinating thing. Carlos, uh, what what's uh, any any case studies from you? Yeah, I'll highlight PR Newswire, who was one of our clients before the podcast. We were talking about some of the PR awards that were given out uh, last week at one of the events, but. You know, PR was re relatively a, a commodity. PR Newswire is a leader in that space, and they had been going to market with a very product-centric approach and just trying to pound their audience. So we started to work with them a number of years ago, and actually they had just made an acquisition. So we had to combine two different organizations and really start to take a buyer-centric point of view. And so, as I, as I said already on the podcast, it was really about the alignment of people, process, content, technology, and data. So we started to use that and put that in place. And long story short, what we saw was there was a 22% increase in engaged leads and then a 7% increase in qualified leads. And most importantly, a 7% increase in closed sales driven from marketing. And when you think about the stats that are published by Serious Decisions and by uh, CEB that say only 0 to 2% of any marketing generated lead ever goes to close to just increase by 7%, that's a significant increase. Yeah. And so we're still working with them. We're still seeing great success from that program, but they really embrace the whole aspect of change. Excellent. And uh, finally, Joel, you must see loads of uh, entries to your awards come your way. But there was one from last year that stood out in terms of demand generation. I thought it was just quite interesting because it was a bit different in terms of what, what, what we normally talk about with um, uh, demand gen. It was a campaign for man, diesel, and turbo. And it was the bit of, of man that build um, engines for, for container ships, right? So this is like, this is the ultimate end, the top, the absolute top end of B2B. And this isn't professional services or you know, fast-moving technology. You know, this is this is enormous diesel engines that are the size of a football pitch and, and can power container ships all the way around the world. And they had a situation whereby 
they were finding that uh, there was a, there was a slight downturn in global trade. Um, fuel prices are going up, and so they so they found they they're finding it harder and harder. And yet people don't take decisions about which diesel engines to, to commission quite very readily. You know, it's a very very complex decision making unit. It's very very lead times. You know, forget it. You know, looking about five years or something like that. So they they what they did, which was really interesting with their agency uh, Klaus and, and partners, is they they created a platform where they pulled all this data in from lots of different sources, including Lloyd's List, and they created customized data outputs for different shipping lines and showed them the cost savings they could make from uh, from from using one of their one of their engines one of their ships in the future and then they spat that out into all kinds of different content formats um, and you know infographics videos personalized bits of content here and there and you know it, and it's really really powerful very very highly segmented very highly targeted demonstrating real value for money had a fantastic response rate you know, big data is something that's a bit of a, for me, is a bit tarnished as an, an idea in, in B2B because you can't always get big data. But this is an example of fairly big data and, and it used to great effect and something which was ambitious to do on a digital front, which you don't often see. It's like sort of change the topic. Well, it's the same topic. But what, 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 what would you say is the biggest challenge you face in, in the area of demand generation? Katie, I'm going to come to you first. The impression that social media is just a fluffy channel is still the same thing <laughs> and that followers and fans and engagement actually matter at all when they don't yeah. and that misinterpretation of where social is and the capability of social to be able to connect you at the right time at the right place in the right context with the right content with your buyers is missed it's very frustrating <laughs> We'll, we'll leave it on, that, on there then. <laughs> Carlos, what, what about yourself? I think the biggest challenge is, is truly change management, and, and related to that is a skill set. 96% of CMOs are saying we're being asked to do things we've never had to do before. There is a huge skill set problem in the B2B marketing arena where, to you know, as Joe said, when you go to a CMO and he says, hey, I want to connect in six months, well, sometimes just to do a buyer journey with five people on a buying committee is going to take you up to eight to 10 weeks just to diagnose that and really understand that more than just a linear funnel process that a lot of different organizations use. So I think the biggest challenge is change and, and enabling that skill set. And I'm, I'm glad to see something we've been talking about now for a number of years, but I'm glad to see some more organizations putting more funding around marketing enablement. And that is going to continue to be a challenge, I believe, for the next several years. Okay. And uh, Joe, what about from a content perspective? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the change management issue is, is huge, as Carlos was saying. And I, I guess I would add on and say, we've got to get out of this campaign mentality. I mean, if you talk about content marketing or demand generation, we've all talked about this as a long-term process of building a relationship with the customer base, with an audience base. And when you see a lot of these programs start, they're 9- to 12-month program, well, programs, and we've, we've got to start thinking this is a marathon and not a sprint. It's very, by the way, this is very hard to do. Very, a CMO wants to come in. They want to make change happen right away. They want to see results as soon as possible. But that's why, I mean, if you come from media, you, you, you do three-year plans. You know, why do you do three-year plans? Because we know it takes time to build a relationship with a particular person around a content niche. And sometimes we forget that as B2B marketers. So it's really focusing on, look, we've got to create a strategy that is an approach and a business model outside of the campaign, and we have to be patient. And if we're going to experiment, as Joe was saying, we need to do, we need to at least make sure it's a little bit more than the buyer's journey for the particular product or service you're offering, or you're never going to give yourself a chance. So, so what I, I wanted my 
this is my, my suggestion in terms of what I think is the is the challenge facing demand generation. Uh, I think really, um, I, I kind of reflecting and, and kind of balance, bouncing off what Joe's just said there. I think one of the, the, the challenges I think you have at the moment with demand generation campaigns is because everyone's got better at them. And thinking in terms of campaigns now, rather than this always on approach to content, which I agree completely is the right way to do it, as people have got better at them, they've kind of industrialised them. And that, and that means that what you get is this kind of sausage factory mentality, and and that, and that applies often to the content that gets created from it. And I think what gets missed in that is an, is a, is a true sense of engagement with the audience and a and a, and a, and a, a willingness to get under the skin and and, and you know expect that the, the relationship will take longer to develop. And you have to do you have to do some of the softer things. You have to connect with them as a human being rather than just necessarily as a, as, a, as a faceless person on a list yeah. so that sometimes gets forgotten when we, when we industrialize these kind of techniques okay i, I want to just uh, move on to uh, the fact that i've got um two of my guests here have had books published in in the last uh, few months and i didn't think i could uh, do this podcast without giving them a chance to mention that maybe give it a, qu- a quick plug so carlos let's start with yours uh, which is uh, titled driving demand transforming b2b marketing to meet the needs of the modern buyer tell us about your book yeah, actually, Joe had to pull a little double duty because I asked him to write the forward to it. So he had a little <laughs> bit more writing than a little bit more writing than I did. Really, I mean, it's it's it was meant to be a guidebook for CMOs and marketing leaders, and even even just marketing people on the front lines to say this is how you have to approach demand generation. We serve a modern buyer who is highly connected, highly sophisticated, highly complex, and so this is how the approach is. So really, it's meant to be a blueprint to say, look, if you want to change, if you want to drive effective demand generation, this is how you do it. Excellent. And where, where can our listeners find out more, more about that? You know, you can go to drivingdemand.net or you can go to amazon.com and order the book. It's there and uh, can be accessed in both the Kindle and the hardcover uh, version. Excellent. Now, um, Joe, I don't know if you two have a competition on, on who's got the longest uh, book title, but Joe, yours is called uh, Content Inc. How Entrepreneurs Use Content to Build Massive Audiences and Create Radically Successful Businesses. What's yours about, and, uh, and where can we find out about that one? Yeah, I definitely had to make sure my tagline was longer than Carlos's, <laughs> so I think I won that battle. Um, well, specifically to this conversation, if... if I really believe that the best way to go to market for B2B companies and driving demand generation is to build an audience first around a particular topic. So you're focusing on a specific persona and you're trying to solve their ongoing pain points and really become, position yourself as the leading expert around that area. And then once you do that, you open yourself up for all sorts of additional possibilities to sell them products or services. And that's, we talk about that many times, many case studies. Uh, in the book, and uh, basically it's all based on reverse engineering all these amazing case studies and how these companies became successful, and there's six steps to it. So if you're going to do it, we talk about these six steps. You just have to sort of follow the program, experiment a little bit here and there, if you will, and and uh, it's my favorite book that I've written of the four. And uh, to get it, just go to content-inc.com, and you can get a free chapter there or as Carlos is saying, you can just go to Amazon and check it out, and uh, and it's in, available in audio, ebook, and uh, of course, print Excellent. format. Good stuff. Now, uh, not to be outdone, uh, Casey and I, we can also be found on the, on Amazon, can't we? Because we we both contributed to a chapter of the uh, CIPS share this and share this two books. So we so we we're in two books. So not too bad. But anything you want to plug? Well, it's only fair that I give you the opportunity. Thank you. I, I haven't written another book. No. That was it. I've had enough. <laughs> um, but what, I have, what we do instead is create webinars. So if you didn't manage to make the B2B summits paid for social, you can go download free 
webinars, Brilliant. just talk about paid social, talk about all sorts of things in social and B2B. And that's on your website? Uh, so you can see it on the website, yeah. Which is immediatefuture.co.uk. Christ, I've got, to do, I've, got, I've got to serve this up for you how many times. And uh, Joe, any events uh, coming up your uh, for, for B2B marketing? We've got the B2B Leaders Forum happening in September, which is purely for uh, marketing directors, heads of marketing, CMOs. Uh, it's a day of networking, peer-to-peer discussions, very stimulating, great speakers. Um, yeah, be there if you can. Brilliant. Okay, now uh, to finish off the uh, the podcast then, so one final question to all four of you. Can you sum up uh, with one sort of maybe final tip um, each on B2B, B2B uh, demand generation for our listeners? Uh, Joel, let's start with you. Oh dear. Um, I, B2B demand generation is, is absolutely fundamental part of what, of what B2B is and what it does. It, you know, it has to be built in, but I think um, built in and considered across the whole piece. So I think it has to be done in an engaging way. And I think, it, and I think it's not, it, it, you know, we should be thinking long term. Okay. Katie? Uh, segment your data. Don't bore your buyers to death and optimise always. Nice. Okay. That's nice and uh, simple. Uh, Joe, let's come to you. Yeah, I would follow on the two and and just say before you extract value too quickly, which is what we all want to do, and we try to drive these leads and get them to sales as fast as possible, just work on building value first. Build as much value as you can, and then you can extract that value and try to monetize that and sell that relationship instead of what we're seeing now is we try to get the lead in and we try to extract value way too quickly. Thanks, and I'll give the last word to Carlos. Yeah, I think it's really about getting to know your buyer. And it's not just one buyer, it's multiple buyers. Understand their roles, understand their biases, understand how they consume content, understand their buying journey. And it's once you start there that you can align around the buyer and really operationalize your demand generation approach. Nice way to finish. Thank you very much for all four of my guests today. That's uh, Joel Harrison of B2B Marketing, Immediate Futures' Katie Howe, uh, Joe Polizzi of the Content Marketing Institute, and Carlos Hidalgo of Annuitas. Uh, thanks also to Marketeers for hosting us and recording the show. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the series of podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes by searching for the C-Suite podcast. And please do give us a positive rating and review, uh, particularly in iTunes, um, as that will help us up the charts. And if you want to get involved in the series, then uh, tweet me using at Russ Goldsmith or drop me a line using the contact form at c-suitepodcast.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye.